0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures. Role-playing inspiration can come from anywhere, and we use our side quest to explore TV shows, movies, books, and other RPGs that influence our playstyle and storytelling. Whether we draw from intriguing plot points, amazing characters, or, well, you know, just kind of geek out about it, it should be a fun trip and we're glad you came along for the ride.
0: Here's a message from friends of the show.
1: Order up!
2: What's, what's this? Oh, it's Fat Magic, a massive food
3: and fantasy adventure for 5e.
2: Can I eat this? That's right!
3: It's packed with foodie subclasses, culinary spells, and a smorgasbord of fantastical food monstrosities.
2: Is this food or not?
3: Head to FatMagicOrpg.com to support the
0: Kickstarter today.
2: Oh, okay. Thanks.
0: Welcome, everybody, to today's side quest. You know, one of the great things that we at Tabletop Journeys really enjoy is bringing Tabletop RPG creative minds together onto our show. You know, if we have to use the podcast as a conceit to go ahead and talk to awesome people, we will do that as often as we possibly can. And so I'm really looking forward to today's episode. I I say that every week. I know that I'm looking forward to this episode, but as always, I really mean it this time. We are joined today with Shane and Hannah from the soon to be launching Kickstarter. Although by the time you're hearing this episode, the Kickstarter will have launched for Fat Magic. Shane, Hannah, welcome to Tabletop Journeys.
3: Hey, how
2: you doing, guys? Hi, thank you. Thanks for having
0: us. Welcome to the show. Yeah, well, thank you so very much for coming on. Give us some information. What is Fat Magic? Which is a fabulous title, by the way, for for one, but please, what's it all about? We're
3: actually really proud of that title. That comes (laughs) from the opening narration in Salt fat, Fat Acid Heat. Uh, she's talking about um, how fat unifies other flavors, and in a sense is magic. And so like when when she said that, like fat is magic, they I put them together, like for the last year and a half, we have been saying the words fat magic,
2: just offhand all the time,
3: constantly, (laughs) like 20 times a day, like you see something weird, and it's slightly food related. That's fat magic.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Or from content, would that be fat magic? Is this fat magic?
2: Anytime anyone draws a hot dog with a face, that's fat magic.
1: Hot dogs
3: in general are just fat magic.
1: Hot dogs like are
3: in fat magic.
1: <laughs> I absolutely love that. And I feel that to the core of my being. Just yesterday, I'm at a picnic for work that they had, and uh, they had a food truck come in from New Haven, Connecticut and I don't normally get hot dogs because I'm very particular about hot dogs. I lived in Maine for years. I like my red snapping hot dogs. I like very specific all beef hot dogs. I'm really particular. And then in talking to the people running the food truck, grabbing my burger, my potato salad, and all that good jazz, all the normal stuff you get at these things, they mentioned the fact that they make their own hot dogs. And I'm like, color me intrigued. I'm like, I might have to take one of those, get one of them. And Three hot dogs in their footlongs off the bun, glorious hot dogs, beef pork jobs that were just—it was so tasty. I mean, it was fantastic. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Like, I feel like we just had a fat magic moment. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah we not, did.
1: Yeah, yeah I, and I'm, I'm tasting it again, and I, that's really the feeling I got when you sent us the previews. And I was like flipping through real fast. I'm like, I had to go back to a couple of the pictures and the the jukebox picture. Oh my god, it was glorious! It's like every time I look at it, I find a new piece of food within the within the drawing. <laughs> like, and I'm like, yeah. I gotta
0: play that record. Yeah, pancakes in the jukebox. Like, love it. Like that's just like, absolutely genius. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, the little, and the little tomato down at the bottom. Oh, it's so perfect.
2: That was last piece of art that I did for the PDF. And what was it two weeks ago?
3: Yeah. It was, I have been
2: like so daunted by the, by the form.
3: The, the designer had everything except for that.
2: Yes. Yes. And it was waiting on me to just do it. So it's fantastic to hear you just bring it up without knowing how anxious it made me.
1: Josh said earlier, we love talking to cool people who do cool things. The other part of that is we consider ourselves creative minds. We'll let the audience and you be the judge. But we love hearing about everybody else's creative process. We like knowing the things that inspire and draw that out because I think when creative people talk, it's always, to coin your phrase, fat magic. I mean, it just, it, it just is. It doesn't matter the genre. It doesn't matter the art form. What matters is creative minds just enjoy being around each other. And that's a huge part of what we do.
0: let our listeners think that we have totally gone off into the realm of, of Cuckoo Town here. So, so Fat Magic is, like we said, it's, it's a Kickstarter campaign, currently active, and it is a 5E campaign about food, community, and spaghetti wizards. So I'm going to start with probably an exceptionally open-ended question. How did you take... The whole concept of fat magic, which is amazing, like this, the whole like food marriage, like we both like to eat. So like that's, this is, this is right in our wheelhouse. How did you take that concept and say, you know what? I think I can make a role-playing game about this.
3: So this goes back to the start of, I feel like every story that people are going to tell this year are going to, it's going to have a similar beginning. It was the start of the pandemic. (laughs) Um, That's how the podcast started. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Got a couple of them ourselves. (laughs)
3: I was running a game for for my group, and there was something about it that I was not that was not clicking with me. Um, the players were having fun, and it, I, there were some fun ideas in it, but it it just didn't feel like it was my campaign. And and then the pandemic happened, and. Everything had to stop. Everything we had to stop playing. We we had to work out a new way to play if we did want to play. Mm-hmm. When we did play, it was it was it was difficult to at first because it was hard yeah. to communicate with each other. It was hard to find our rhythm again and the natural pauses in each other's conversation.
2: We've been playing like twice a week for yeah. months.
3: We've been playing too much.
2: We put we had been well two yeah two. To COVID's point, we had been playing too much DD. We,
3: we were in withdrawal. <laughs> and and so par- part of our like ritual as well that when we would play DD is that I would cook for everyone when we were there. Sometimes it was something small, sometimes like if it was a big, big game, we'd have like big, huge yeah. meal and
2: something hearty in a bowl.
3: Something hearty in a bowl. And
2: yeah. that has been like the best post-vaccination blessing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being able to be in the same space and be like, oh my God, try this. <laughs>
0: That, that's very much the origin story of how Lee Wanika and I even became friends. I would go over to his house on Friday nights after work and we would have a couple of beers, and him and his wife would feed me because I was a poor college student. And we'd play Magic the Gathering until way too late. And then I'd pass out on his couch. So, I mean, that's pretty much like 20 something years ago. Like, that's how we became best friends. So, you know.
1: Yeah. And we'd get up in the morning, I'd make bacon, eggs, and whatever else I could scrabble together. And oh, okay. we, yeah.
3: So energy. when are we coming
2: to visit? <laughs> yeah. We... Also, so
3: I was I was kind of at this like this point where I was I was kind of unhappy with the game and I was lying awake one night after after a game that just kind of it it didn't land with me and I realized that that I had to kind of like start over that feeling that we were missing something that we we normally had when we played together and that food was a big part of it was kind of like the 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 first spark that that ignited it and it was so you know like sometimes when you plan a campaign you sit down and you you have a couple of ideas and you you slowly develop them over time this was just like and it was fire and it was just like it spilled out i we we
2: are pent up we I think.
3: looked at a note that I wrote. This was oh at, at 2 a.m. I woke up in the middle of the night and I wrote at 2 a.m. and the entirety of act one is there, except it was called Meat Quest, which is a bad name.
1: Oddly, I don't necessarily think it's as bad as you let on. I don't think it's saleable, but.
3: Yeah.
2: As editor, I'm going to go <laughs> ahead and say that that's not an option.
3: Meat Quest is barely a name you come up with at 2.30 a.m. when you, like, wake up out of a dream.
2: Meat is a good arcade game in Fat Magic.
3: <laughs> yes, it absolutely is. Meat Quest exists in Fat Magic. Yes, absolutely. And then once the once we had the name, then that that developed into kind of like the ethos of the game. Because when when you think about Fat Magic and and when when it's described as like fat being this like flavor that brings everything else together, then you start thinking about like you know what brings people together, what binds communities. Um, So then Fat Magic kind of became about like coming together with people and then looking at how that happens in different communities. So like in privileged communities, in oppressive communities, in communities that exist outside of communities and then enormous, you know, mega communities.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, through through the whole, so I was play testing and from my point of view, I had this dope character in this great Western game. And then Shane was like, okay, no, 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 no. We're going to do this now. And I was like, okay, well sure. This sounds, this sounds very fun. And then it was super fun. (laughs) It was very, very fun. And it like worked in a lot of stuff that like we had been talking about, like things that like we were frustrated with in the world. And you worked in vampires. Yeah. (laughs) Which I think we were just talking about vampires. You
3: you you had a problem with vampires for a while because like you were like, What does that have to do with food? And I was like, Well, vampires eat people.
2: Yeah. And then I was like
3: And then you know they're they're kind of like a lazy metaphor for capitalism or whatever. (laughs) You know, you know. Also I feel like I realized at a certain point where well we were like well into this campaign and we were all very heavily invested in the characters and the stories that I had not communicated to everyone else that like the scope of what what Fat Magic was going to be. Somewhere along the way they had thought that it was maybe going to be like a one shot or a couple of, of short episodes. So they had created the, and named their characters <laughs> with that in mind. So so we had we had one character who's just called Kevin Bacon.
2: That was me. That was mine.
1: I fully support that action.
2: I had just rewatched Tremors.
3: And we had to have these like huge, impactful emotional moments with where, like, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> a character and would always finish his sentence with, like, it's always been you, Kevin Bacon.
0: You guys are awesome. Oh. Like, I love it.
1: I, I, like, I have Stir of Echoes, which is a, a great movie, like, sitting right over there. I thoroughly enjoy it, as I love most Kevin Bacon th- vehicles in general, but.
3: One of the characters is wearing the suit that Kevin Bacon wears at the end of footloose, which is, okay.
0: Now uh, I have to look at it again. Okay. So there is so much. Okay. uh, So to go ahead and give the listeners uh, kind of the scope here. So they sent over like a 13 page sample of, of what the book is going to be. And and, like, so do you guys know, before I get into this, uh, how, how long is the book going to be? You sent us like the first act of it and I know there are six acts in it. So how, how big are we talking here? It's going to
3: be about two hundred and fifty to three hundred pages, probably depending on stretch goals.
2: Definitely dependent on stretch goals. Yeah, the,
3: the, the more we get funded, you know, um, we we'll, we'll have additional content in there. We we will get like additional creators from the community working on some stuff. But it it even at its like base funding level, it's it's going to be a girthy boy.
1: I was gonna say you can't make a, a meal and have it not be girthy. I mean, that's just not that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that,
0: that's that's not okay. That's just not okay. You can't make fat magic a 25-page pamphlet. Like that's like yeah. that's you know that's
1: like, like that's that's not even a
0: sampler. <laughs> okay, so uh, what I wanted to go ahead and kind of dive into it before we even kind of get into your world building concept and like big things like that, like as not only a lover of food, but a lover of food puns, this first act is flat out hysterical. I mean, like how like the name of the the name of the continent or the country that they in is Bullia Base and like all like the little subtle, not just like the subtle puns where you're just where it kind of seems like you're like you're, you're just like making a joke, but also like how you incorporate the puns into actual like things that are happening like like not just the kevin bacon reference but like other things in there too so i guess again espouse on that for a while like what so what was kind of the driving what's kind of the driving theory behind how you're writing it and how you wanted it to sound and how you wanted it to feel and everything like that like this is not an overtly serious book but you also said there was like emotional content so how, how do you bridge that divide
2: I have to say, that's just how he writes, like, (laughs) that's like, that's just how he writes.
3: (laughs) I, so uh, I, I, I don't know if this is me or, or I, I have ADHD and I have trouble remembering things. I, I, I have trouble remembering things regardless of uh, if it's ADHD or not. So, especially if there's like high fantasy names and, um, like, names that kind of, like, ha- don't seem to have, like, roots in kind of, like, words and concepts that I know, I find it very difficult to find a place in my brain and store them. So when I, when I do come up with names and when I use names, I try to use names that have, like, familiar sounds or are combinations of familiar sounds. So, like, all the cities in the game are, like, they're salted pork. There's Cake Town. There's left on burner. The old bay fancied up as much as possible so as not to incur any legal.
1: <laughs> I love that. I do similar things myself. So like I-, I will pick out thesaurus.com or I'll take Google Translate, and like if I need somebody to be the dark guy, I literally start looking at multiple languages and find something that sounds cool that means the dark guy, and 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 that's how I do it. That's I.
2: Also, like you were writing it like at first, just for us, yeah. and so you were you were working like in things that like that were generally the the first name of the Big Bad was based on the name of someone from Tiger King. And that was just like it it has been changed in the book because,
3: yeah, you, you can't just have the <laughs> guy just... from Tiger King, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Folks need to remember how into Tiger King the world was (laughs) at that point.
2: Really into Tiger King.
0: (laughs) Even just so I, I, I hear that that's just the way that you write. But what I loved most about the snippet that you gave us was how your writing dances this line of the ridiculous. It is laugh out loud funny. And it's almost like the way that you go about it so subtly, though if I can, like even just like the opening sentence in the book, food is magic. And I mean that in the folksy food brings us together kind of way, but also in the much more literal turn your dad into a donut kind of way. It's almost absurdist, right? It's It's got like this kind of like, and so if that's just the way that you write, like that's kudos to you because like it had me laughing. Like I'm like, I'm sitting here like, and I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to like take it seriously so I can go ahead and discuss it in a very intellectual manner. Meanwhile, you're talking about sandwiches attacking you. And I'm like, this is, this is amazing. And I can't wait to try and play it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it through it, but I'm going to try, you know, like that's.
3: I, I feel like that comes from, so I, I write about about stuff that's probably generally kind of boring, like my in my day job, like business, mm-hmm. finance, that kind of stuff. So to, to like entertain myself a, a few years ago, I kind of started writing about it in, in a kind of an irreverent, silly, funny um, way and it, it got progressively kind of like more unhinged as I went on. And I, I feel like a lot of the the kind of like ticks that I have, like the writing kind of quirks that I have are, are transposed over into fat magic when I'm
1: writing. See, I uh, approached it at a slightly different way. I heard the title and we got the materials and I started looking at it and I'm like, this is a fat kid's fever dream of how to have fun. I'm all in. Some games are so serious, it's like don't reach for the chips now. The, the, the big battle is going to begin and I'm like, this is me with my foot up, some hagen daws, some diet. I'm having a blast. This is and, and I just love that feeling and it came through in the artwork, which was amazing. It came through in the words, just even the color scheme. And that that logo is such an attention grabber. I love your logo. I think it's amazing. I think you should get it licensed and start doing like that magic diners or something like that. And I will go. You know, it was it was it was beautiful.
3: Yeah. So that's Amber Seeger. Um, she's our layout artist, graphic wildly designer, talented, insanely talented. those pages that i sent you she just um sent to me today so like i'm as blown away by them as you are
0: like they're as fresh for you as they are for me i mean it's like reading a 1950s diner menu like it's the layout is amazing
1: like i could literally see this is the kind of thing that the nerds at the high school that the characters from greece were in would have been playing and it would have been completely in character like i'm waiting for a song to go with it like it's it it just has all those bells and whistles, like you know, pink ladies are all in. I, you know, there's gonna be a couple T birds and, and we're gonna have a blast.
2: We've been talking about subclasses for so long because we have some like really, really cool ideas that we want to work with people who can balance classes better <laughs> with. And so we've made some some subclasses stretch goals in the campaign so that we can make r- our really balanced puns. We have the the one that I'm most excited about is the cold brute barbarian who's a barista.
3: We have like an, an engineer who is like offered to, you know, work out the, the perfect math of balancing it. But I would like, I would absolutely love to to find some folks in the community who are just into the idea mm-hmm. of fat magic and, and to like bring them on board to do those. Pretty consistently across the board. Everybody that I've spoken to, everybody that has come onto the project, there hasn't been this kind of like phase where we were no, they don't understand what's going on. I, oh no,
2: everyone's gotten it. Yeah,
3: you say fat magic, you give them kind of like the 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 cliff notes or whatever, and every single piece of art is like the perfect pitch perfect vibe of exactly what fat magic is, which is bananas because like it's such, it's all these these concepts that shouldn't go together that like smash against each other and are creating this like fun aesthetic that really speaks
0: to me. I think it speaks to other people as well because Always. They just get
2: it like right away, and then run with
0: it. Oh, that's actually one thing that struck me is like we talk about kind of how like fun the writing is, and how like you know it's like it's got some like real obvious like jokes and stuff like that in it too. But it's also there's a craft to it to like like the way that you did the clerics where they're all honey themed, where they they kind of have that like that mending ability, and so you know and it but it, and it's all like it's like honey and hive based. Like that's just really an interesting twist on on a on a cleric and kind of like how like, you know, how is organized religion like a beehive? You know, like we can like there's that that whole like road that you can go down, right, to go ahead and 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 get there. But so it's like, yeah, it's it's got this kind of tongue-in-cheek, kind of pokey kind of writing style to it, but there's also like real serious, like well-crafted game mechanic behind it, which is which is really rare. Like you see people that can do one or the other, but very rarely is there this like crossover where it's really, really funny to read. And then after you read it and you're done laughing, you're like, wait, that actually makes a lot of sense. Like that's really nicely done. So I, I think that is to follow Josh. I think that's the goal. I think
1: a lot of us as storytellers are trying to find the entertainment, but we're also trying to find that narrative through line that speaks to some internal truth that just makes sense when it only takes a few words and you get an almost universal understanding you've hit that mark you're getting that universal truth you're getting that through line and it can express it in different ways but it's like that's there at the core and I think that's what we were both getting from the snippets that we have it's like okay, there's something here, this could be fun. And I was thinking about it, like there's a lot of times where we'll, we'll look at a game or review a game or we'll talk about it. Like, yeah, that'll make a good palate cleanser, but I don't know if I'd wanna play this regularly, right? I don't have that sense here. I have this as a sense of this is something that I would have fun playing as a regular thing. Like I have my regular d and games. I have intermittent palladium games or whatever this is something that I want to put into my regular rotation. This is something I want to put in into that, hey, we're getting together. This is the, the three of us from uh, Tabletop Journeys uh, getting together for a weekend uh, at a cabin somewhere, and it's like, hey, let's not do anything that's over-the-top serious. Let's just kick back, have some fun, enjoy each other with a great role-playing game, and let's do this regularly. And I think that's kind of – what I think is really awesome, there are so many tabletop games, but you don't come across that many that you want to put into the regular rotation.
0: And, and I think that's really cool and amazing thing. So I wanted to ask you, so again, we kind of talked about how like interesting some of the mechanics are. And one of the mechanics that I wanted to talk about was sort of how fat magic as a, it's not really a school. I wouldn't call it because you actually, you specifically say like there aren't scholars of fat magic, right? That, that, that's they kind of like, it's more like a wild magic. They kind of stumble into it, right? So the mechanic where the caster has to give up part of their body to execute this, right? That it, it takes a certain portion of their being to execute it. How did you come up with that? And, and Hannah, I want to hear a little bit about how, like, how that playtests and kind of how that works out, because that's a, you don't see that at all.
3: i trying to think what came first. I think it was around the time that we had the title and the magic kind of came almost at the same time. Because in that first document, before the game was named Fat Magic, the the villain of the first act was a lipidator. So this this is the word that we still use for like, um you know, a, a wizard um, that uses fat to cast magic. And the idea is that like, you, you know, w- when you operate within toolbox, there's like rules that you have to like stick to, which is great sometimes and can be limiting other times, especially when you have like, you know, like a villain and you wanna just make them, you wanna make them do something and the toolbox doesn't have a way for you to do it so the idea was like what if there's something that breaks the toolbox so they they take living fat and it's more than fat it's like fat and muscle and flesh and viscera it's kind of like the whole meat of that area but they they take that and it can be from themselves or it can be from something else and that's where it gets a bit sinister and that's where the plot from the the first episodes comes from because Yeah, the the lipidator, uh, you know, steals the entire uh, stock of of pigs from the town and he's going to use the fat to to power the spell. And the idea is that, like, it's a way that, like, wizards have found to hack the universe to break the laws of magic. And you get, like, you get terrifying, very competent lipidators who are able to do, you know, historic, world-changing spells with this. And then you also get people like the villain at the start of Act One of Fat Magic, who is he's like a, a child with a bulldozer. I mean, he's <laughs> he's not a good magician. He's not good at math, which you need to be to to, to be good at fat magic. And he, he accidentally sets in when he casts his first like big fat magic spell at the end of the first act he sets in motion the the rest of the events of fat magic which kind of like snowball from act to act becoming larger and larger and kind of growing in scale
2: as a playtester, something that about this like what's going on the page is so very much rooted in the fact that it was being written as we were playing it Mm -hmm. week to week and the goal was something that we all would love (laughs) so much and the things that we love are often very funny or they're often very horrifying or hot npcs (laughs) i mean those three genres comedy horror and romance like they they all go together really well because they're all genres that like you feel in your body and like keeping that like pulpy like heightened
3: like there's danger
2: oh yeah absolutely and that's something about like when you're seeing what fat magic is and how fat magic works it really heightens the stakes
0: i'm hearing you describe it and i'm like in my head i'm i'm going like weird sinister places where i'm like man like a necromancer who uses fat magic and like steals children from the village to power his magic, right? Like it's like, it's like, it's like a, like a nasty character.
1: Worse worse than that. I see that same necromancer hiring a caravan of confectioners who to bring in sweets the months in advance. So it's like everybody gets these sweets half off, basically fattening up the village's kids. And then there's going to be somebody with a bunch of alcohol merchant who comes in that puts all the parents to sleep. And, and then they swipe the kids the next
0: morning. Uh, Don't tell us you've already got that idea too. Like that's please. So that's. I do
3: want to speak to that. We, we did. There was a point when we were developing Fat Magic where I became concerned that I I didn't want this idea that like say libertators would be targeting larger body people. So Fat Magic is actually based on like percentage of body matter. So it doesn't matter how on like the creature size can be large or humanoid or, or big it's always a percentage of, of of the body. That's
0: something that I wanted to talk about too. And so I, about how, how much I appreciated you call kind of calling out right up front, kind of that potential pitfall, because like, that's like, I, I, I see what kind of where you're going with that. It's like, oh wait, we're calling this fat magic. Are we are we invoking any sort of body image type issues or any dysphoria issues or anything like that? Are we calling any of that to to mind here? I mean, like you know, we're we're kind of we're riffing on it and joking about it a little bit about how much Leawana and I love food, but there, you know, that can be a legitimate sort of sort of thing. And I I did want to say, you know, kind of after we were done with the funny part of the show, but about how much kind of as a reader and has uh, uh, as someone reading it, how much I appreciated the fact that like you. You acknowledge that right up front, like, "Hey, we understand that this can be taken in this way. It's not the way that we mean it. Here's the way that we mean it." And, you, and I think that you you do that with a with a lot of uh, with a lot of grace and aplomb right at the very beginning of the book. And so kudos to you on that, um, as well as some of the other inclusivity things that are in the in the chapter. Right? I think that that was you know again it's it is it is purposeful. You put it in there because it was the right thing to put it in there, and and that's and that's where it was. And I really uh, really applaud you on yeah. that too following that
1: like we talk often on the show about safety tools in 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 games we we love session zeros we applaud them we we celebrate them we encourage them for the games we run we demand them and we and it's something that we've been paying attention to when we're reviewing new games and stuff is where are the safety tools and when we see them done well we we like to call them out so
3: I, I think that's always when you're like, when you have a game that you play at your own table and you you have like, you know, like when you play bowling and you put up the, 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 bumpers. the bumpers, like you, you have the bumpers in your own brain to keep your game safe, but you need to be aware that like, not everyone has those exact same bumpers yeah. or they may be shaped slightly differently. So if you, if the text doesn't account for that, you know, there's potential for it to be misused. There's potential for it to be misunderstood. There's potential for it to like harm folks. So, you need to be a little bit more careful when you're when you're writing
2: inclusion is something that has been important in like all of the games that we've played together, but like I don't think there's any reality in which we go through the past year without like knowing that how much we need to center diversity, equity, and inclusion, just pointing back to how much f m was born out of its like very specific circumstances mm.
1: I fully agree. I can honestly say a lot of what this podcast has done in the last year along those lines are thoughts and beliefs that we that we as individuals have always held but we never put center stage. We never said it's not good enough to just believe the right things and to do the right things individually. As soon as you have a platform or get out and get a platform, you need to center and focus attention on these issues. Because if you're not, who's gonna? I guess uh, I lived the better part of 40 some odd years, 45, 48, 49 some odd years of my life, expecting somebody else to do that for me. And well, here we are in the world of 2021. And it's exceptionally clear, certainly by January of this year, but that that dog won't hunt. And, and here we are, we have a podcast where we talk about these things we are doing what we can to get to get in touch with and build a community of more and more people who
0: feel the same that we need to have these things in what we do we've talked a lot about kind of our favorite mechanics and our favorite things that are in the book what are your favorites i mean what what's the thing about the fat magic rule set or the fat magic rule yeah, i see you guys smiling already this is awesome <laughs> what what is the one thing that if you could point and say you know what we uh we told a really good joke right there and people are going to find it really really funny or what's your fa- what's your favorite bit about the book and i'll let you, yeah, you guys by each all interview.
1: means tell us which child is your favorite
2: one of my favorite things is something that comes up, I think it's the third act, when we meet the community of people in food trucks. And there were some, there were some mechanics that you introduced while playing that, where my character, Kevin Bacon, was uh, piloting this food truck uh, shaped like a giant bagel rolling to show like how much I was focusing on the meal I was going to eat when I got to where I was going uh and that like being what powered this like insane food truck full of uh whoever we were carting around at the time that was that's I specifically remember that as being a fun thing also the potion that made me a giant
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, wait, no, you can't just like drop that. Like, that's what, that's, like, oh, and the potion that made me a giant. It's like, oh, and
2: it's like, I got to pitch oh. my voice down here.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think you really, I think Cape Town is your baby the most. I think.
3: I was just thinking though, when you were <laughs> talking, um, that like, so, so the thing about the, the food truck and like motivating it by like imagining like the amazing food that you're gonna serve or the meal that you're gonna have when you get there. A lot of like that mechanic, as with like a lot of mechanics in Fat Magic, were like devised at the table. They're yeah. like they're not something that ever existed on a page before they happened. And that's like one of those things where playtesting for a year and playing the game. For a year and enjoying the game for a year it it makes you feel really lucky because you have like you know bursts of creativity at the table you you have moments where the players like feed into the moment and create mechanics for you you mentioned earlier how you you really like the idea of like that that honey cleric and 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 the hive yeah that's born out of like a, a player and the the player who started i think the first idea was that they they were a beekeeper
2: yeah, our cleric was played by someone who loved bees.
3: They love bees. Their dad keeps bees. Yeah. Um, and they just wanted their kind of like their their activity that like, because everyone, when you start the game, you you start kind of like as a, an employee or someone who's like engaged in kind of mundane activity when you start off. They want to be a beekeeper. And it started at very surface level. They're a beekeeper a couple of spells started getting flavored as as honey spells and then more and more and then there was we eventually when we got to the city there was the order of the golden hive and they had like a whole religion built around like this idea and then there was a god who like (laughs) came after that Um, and it was like none of that would have happened if that, that person at that table not only, you know, came up with the idea, but was so passionate and w- wanted to be involved with that process.
2: There's a hilariously applicable word for, I think, how a lot of this food-based game was created, and it's organic.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we should put an organic sticker <laughs> on C- Certified C- organic Certified RPG. Certified
2: organic world building.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I See... It's those kind of jokes that just write themselves here. But again, like, it's kind of like. It's funny on one level and so true on another. I mean, the, the, what you have just described there is the collaborative world-building process, where it's like, where you've got a player who is carving out a part of the world and defining kind of their, almost defining their own background and defining their own characteristics, and and then as the as the storyteller, it's our job to kind of say, okay, so you are a member of the Order of the Golden Hive. Now there's an Order of the Golden Hive, and boom, that's this is where they're ho- located, and this is what their churches look like, and this is how they're clerics act and this is their hierarchy and all these like that's i mean we talk a lot about homebrewing campaigns on on this podcast and that is the very nature of what we're trying to talk about so
1: it is the perfect expression of the yes and on a grand scale you've provided a great framework so a very a creative player had the ability to feel free to create and then you we're able to shape and mold that creation so that it enriched everyone's experience. And that's an amazing thing. When you can build classes, subclasses, orders, groups, towns, things of that nature. We had a guest on our, a friend of our show, Ben Sinese, who, uh, who built a whole world based on this is what it was. And then when we finished our first campaign, he's like, where did you want to settle? And we all picked different places. And then the next campaign we started thirty years later, and those cities were like our, our personalities, or expressions of our personalities. And so now there are whole orders designed after the characters we once played. You know, and so it's it's very similar, if not exactly the same thing. You know, and I love that. Like that is that's why that has been one of the greatest campaigns of my life. And knowing now that you're saying these words that that's baked into baked into the DNA of this game. I could do this all day. I really could. (laughs) It explains why I had such a solid feeling about the game and why I'm excited about it because that's what I love about the hobby. It you know, I I love role-playing games because of moments like that where we can all build this thing together. It is like, it's perfect.
3: And I I was worried when I first started doing this that it was maybe like a shallow concept and that like you would pretty quickly run out of interesting things to do with food like very quickly (laughs) but every single person that i meet and i tell about it they they always like say like a pun or they say like a a concept for like a subclass and they're always like oh that's so obvious you probably have that already and it's like no i don't see the one someone uh, came up with an idea for like a a wizard that uses like fondue based spells and they're called
0: a cheese whiz
2: and yeah he, he did that thing where he was like i'm sure that's already in there yeah yeah, and it actually.
0: Yeah, wasn't. no, yeah. sure not. No, no. Um. So, uh, and and uh, I feel like we could go through like this entire book and say, okay, so what's the origin of this particular piece? Well, you know, but I'm I'm going to do that anyway. So the 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 Alexander Wetworks, okay, was such an ingenious creation, just playing on again, kind of that like that so like that almost stagnant RPG trope of like, no, there's like, there's this collection of people and there's like a single individual that like pulled pulled them all together and it flips it on its head and say, Oh no, no, no. They just wanted to sound bougie. So they came up with a name that they thought sounded fancy. Like they're like, podunk pig farmers you know was that was that kind of a creation at the ta- at the game table or was that something that you that you baked into the uh into the plug
3: yeah that was i i enjoy i enjoy reading uh about con men <laughs> <laughs> and sir francis is that kind of like uber capitalist con man he's like uh, super charismatic and charming everything is a grift everything is a game <laughs> Um, and there's, there's never, he never plays anything honestly. It would never occur to him to actually name something like after someone. He, he has to like find the specific market tested name that would achieve a certain, you know, goal appearance. And he, he's obsessed with like grandeur and
1: everything yeah. like that. And like,
2: he's doing this in a fantasy world that's made of food.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know nobody like that. <laughs>
0: No, not one person. He's never
3: been knighted either. He just calls himself Sir Francis. (laughs) Yeah,
0: absolutely. Oh totally yeah totally yeah 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 because of course you do right you know I, I, and I, I so I so want to pronounce it the Alexandre Wetworks like just to go ahead and like to make it sound fancy like like Alexandre Wetworks like that's 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 funny on one level but Alexandre like it just kind of like rolls off the tongue and
3: then, and then like the owners who who own it like took that as their name to kind of like bond them to to like the this, prestige
2: this Pork Empire yeah <laughs>
0: yeah. But th- but they all do it wrong. Like they all take like their first name is Alexandre instead of so like, they keep their last, they keep, you know, I am Alexandre Sizzlehawk. you know, that's, you know, that's you know. Yes.
2: part of why this book exists, I think, or like, is going to exist already exists in our hearts and minds um, is because there was a lot, because it was such a rich vein, like we would, we were working so collaboratively at the table that then i think you just kept thinking of stuff mm-hmm. and then by then it was too late to tell us this cool <laughs> thing you thought of for the world we're in mm-hmm. and then so now we now there has to be a book
3: there has to be, <laughs> has to be a book <laughs> i i have a list of like food names for cool characters that i <laughs> never use at the table i have i have the name brisket written down for like a year and a half and i i was like this person isn't cool enough to be a brisket i'm saving it <laughs> like it was you know like a, a potion in a video mm-hmm. game and then i never used it
2: and then we had the finale no brisket
1: well oh, the be- the beauty is that food is universal like obviously right every human being eats that's it full stop we all eat we all have a food story we all have a food experience for good or for ill there's we all have a connection to food i joke and seriously talk about the fact i don't eat chocolate because for whatever reason, and, and I don't want to bore everybody with that whole story, it's actually kind of funny, but I was I did not have my first taste of chocolate until I was 13 years old. And then when I realized as a much older or young teen that this was flat garbage, and I could actually try these things, I spent about two weeks eating everything with sugar I absolutely possibly could, and do all of those things. And so I had chocolate, and I'm like, I just don't like it. And what I realize, or what I might theorize is that people have an emotional connection to certain foods. It is less or at least it's not fully about the taste, but it is also about the emotional content of their first experience with said food. And because I have none of those connections to certain foods, I just don't crave them. I just don't deal with them. And so I think about that when I'm looking at this game. We all have these connections, powerful, deep to our core connections with food. And that's why everybody has a story that could be a character or be a town or be a situation. You're going to hit on most of them, many of them. But every single person with any kind of creative edge to them has got 20 more that they can add in and all they see when they open up the first page is possibilities.
2: Oh, I was just going to say that your uh, your story of not uh, eating a ton of sweets as a kid is really resonating for me who has a pretty, um, my mom's pretty crunchy, pretty granola and deathly afraid of Red 40. So I there was a lot of junk food that I've just like never had or like only had as an adult when I uh, was able to buy my own food.
3: I've, I've never had any of Any of your American breakfast cereals?
2: (laughs) I know we Uh, we've been talking about doing a a cereal night. Yeah, just like a children's cereal. I was Uh, like
3: 29 when I came. Oh, murder mystery cereal night. Yes, that's a one shot.
0: Must be my calling in life to make sure that whatever sweets you don't eat, I can. I mean, I have like a gigantic bag of chocolate in my desk. (laughs) Like that's you know, like that's. It's balance, exactly. It's like, it's like you know, it's light side and dark side of the force. It's, that's you know, it's like,
3: light side and dark side of the chocolate.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, right. The people and creations in Fat Magic that we feel the most attached to are ones that like we have a like particularly strong uh, attachment to. Like you're a big sandwich guy.
0: You're a big sandwich guy. There's a lot of there's a lot of sandwich references in here.
2: First monsters is a sandwich.
0: The, one of the first
3: monsters. This might. This isn't a spoiler for the whole book, but but there's a god who plays a big role. Who is just sandwich headed god. He was instrumental in the formation of the roots when he he clefts the great tomato in Twain uh, with his great <laughs> sword Butterbin. That's the lauriest thing I've written. Yes. Entire, but his design. I, I'm going to get someone to draw him at some point. But his design in my head is just like like a hot dude in his underpants with a giant sandwich for a head. And that's it.
2: Didn't you add like a <laughs> like a Mr. Aviceno to
3: Yeah, that uh, was for
2: you. That was for me. A lot of my family is Greek and one of the like only Greek things that I can cook is this like really wonderful chicken soup. And then I think you just named a guy.
3: Yeah, an the tailor in Cape Town.
2: Mr. Aviceno. Yeah. Yeah.
3: We're in the second playtest right now and mm. uh playtest party 2. Big I'm not in Mr. this one. Mr.
2: <laughs> yes.
3: Oh, <no. laughs>
2: Thank you for writing the character you can't say. <laughs> yeah. I, it I, means a lot to me personally as someone with a very long last name.
3: Before the game, I, I went to Google and I had the Google lady say it like 20 times. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Brilliant there is one more question that I wanted to ask you guys kind of about the the rules in this in this thirteen page packet that you sent us. and it's it's the bit at the very end about character creation. and it's it's gonna to be totally off of where we were just were. So I'm gonna to, <laughs> totally changing gears here. Uh, so I found that uh, in the character creation portion, there's a there's an interesting sort of layout about letting people know kind of how to design characters that are going to have the most fun in the world. Now I want you guys to talk a little bit about why you feel that those rules are so, I don't want to say important, but kind of like why why you feel like they will help enjoyment of the game and everything like that. So the, the rules as you laid out here is that um, you live and work in the town of Salted Pork, which is kind of the town that's laid out in this first act. You've lived in the town most of your life. You don't own property or your business here's the one that's interesting. You're not a hero and you're an employee of something in the town. So what about that sort of archetype or that sort of background do you think helps make the game more fun? Let me feel.
3: So I I need to see the three of them in my head again, the four of them. Live in Salted Pork, Employed. So when it comes to living in Salted Pork and not having come from somewhere else or having like a rich backstory from somewhere else, there's kind of like a dual purpose there in that. One is that, each kind of like area that you get to is um, so there's kind of like four areas there's salted pork, there's Cake Town, there's the Soprasetta Desert, and then you get to Left on Burner, which is like the, the big final city, which is kind of where everything in the game comes together. Each of these places are kind of like they're heavy with their own um, systems and history and to be from somewhere else in the Booyah Base, and to like to know about them beforehand kind of diminishes some of the weight of those things so I want I wanted people to be going into these communities and be experiencing them through fresh eyes and I also wanted them to be experiencing them through privileged eyes so when you start in salted pork you are an employee so you don't think that you have that much going on for you and you're struggling to pay the rent, but you also don't realize just how bad some people in the booy base have it. You don't realize how terrible it can get out there. And there are some things um I think you've you've read the document. They, there are some things about salted pork that are a little bit more sinister than than it appears on the surface. A lot of the 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 restrictions are there to establish that you have a certain worldview. And allow you then to grow and change as the story goes on. Um, so I, I also sent on like the this is just like a sample of the larger PDF. And at the end of the 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 fifty page PDF, which we're gonna release um, for free because the the, the area kind of acts like as an onboarder for
2: the rest for, of the campaign for
3: the rest of the campaign and like introduces you to the concepts and how this world works and how color can works. Something is going to happen to Salted Pork. Your your players are going to be put on an adventure that's going to take you away from Salted Pork for a long time. And all things going well, you're going to come back to Salted Pork at the end of the campaign and you're going to be different. And you're going to have to decide, is Salted Pork the kind of community that you want to live in? And if it is, are you going to change it? Are Mm -hmm. you going to to make an effort to make it better?
2: Also, like, as a character who whose employer is based on the town's local economy and who doesn't have like a ton else going on besides that is going to be very personally invested in what happens to that town. And as a player on the outside, like bringing in like people you know into tying into that, I think like we worked together to name the bar that my character bartended at. And then I'm like, okay, um, I have to save Pearls Before Swine or else, m- me, I won't be able to work in this cool bar I already love. <laughs> yeah,
3: they're a little bit like after the the sample that I sent you, and it it it's basically um one of the first things that you're going to do is um you're going to take a moment to have a scene with your your individual characters establish where they are and what their role is in the town and take a moment to like really connect them to salted pork before you start off. So they have something to fight for. And they they have kind of like, I mean, it it's the same reason we do like a session zero. They, they, yeah. they have a reason to, to fight and they feel rooted in the world.
1: As I'm looking at it, it looks very much like how I started my, one of my current ongoing d d campaigns where it's like, I, as a storyteller, didn't want to deal with some of the challenges of figuring out why these people are fighting for each other, why they're involved. Like I wanted to give an in-game reason for everybody to be not on a path like a railroad, but so that at least the motivation is shared and then let them go with that. And so I did a thing where everybody grew up in an orphanage. And they were all they grew up together and they the people who ran the orphanage, they call mom and dad and they grew up as brothers. People who grew up in the orphanage and have left are their older brothers. People who are still in the orphanage are their younger brothers and sisters. I should say, you know, their their siblings. And as that is expressed, as they go out into the game, even though their newer players have not come from the or from, the or- it is literally we're a group as a whole. But it is my uh, my brothers and our friends, and and there's that. Uh, Like uh, the great movie that I love because it's a Boston-based thing, Four Brothers with Mark Wahlberg and Andre 3000 and Garrett Hedlund and Tyrese, uh, with the four. I love that movie, and that was the concept that I put baked into my game. Again, I'm with that pun, and 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 I did that for all of these. It was very similar, like. You're the kids from the orphanage in the town, and you were nothing more than the kids from the orphanage when this started. They are now heroes that they've been gaming for so long, but they started as just kids from the town, and they have it it has really covered a lot of ground narratively in the game to start from that base. So I, I love that kind of start, and I think it works great when you're introducing a brand new thing. This is a perfect place to start in this world, and future campaigns, you can be from other places, you can do other things, but this is where you want to start so you get it. Yeah, yeah
3: absolutely. And they, they, they're going to be, because because of the way that Salted Pork becomes like involved in the larger story, they are going to be um, moments later in the story that having a shared history in that town are going to have like a lot more emotional weight if you yeah. do. Also, I just think it's very funny if you start a campaign as like, a fry cook and then by the end of the campaign you're punching god <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> leveling up i think that one of my favorite things about dnd or any other ttrpgs any homebrews anything is that it's all the different ways we are figuring out on how to bring together a diverse group of people because that's what a balanced party needs we are a bunch of creative people in our friend group and we have one guy who can do math and that's like only—that's <laughs> not really a balanced party, <laughs> you know. Um, we have we have a lot of uh, people for in our apocalypse commune who can sew, you know. <laughs> not not many a lot. Not really a hunter. <laughs> yeah. So like using using tabletop using role playing to like figure out how to bring different people together like for a common cause is like one of the biggest strengths of and like reasons why we do this.
1: Yeah, yeah, building communities and it, it, it starts in the table, uh, virtual or otherwise. And then it expands into our lives when the people you've been gaming with become close friends and then become close enough to be like family. Uh, Where all of a sudden you're going to birthday parties together, you are doing picnics together, you're doing non-game things together. It's an amazing thing, and all from a game with some funky shaped plastic rocks.
3: Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah,
3: it's like life hack. If you are ever forced to leave the country that you grew up your entire (laughs) life in, and it's all you know, and you have to go to a city that you have no friends in, um, just start playing D and (laughs) D. Yeah. you will force like five people to come to your house every week, and yep. uh, they'll be friends with you whether they like it or not.
1: Especially if you if you're a D, if you're a DM or storyteller, moderately harder, moderately if you're a player. But if you're a storyteller, they will not only come to your house; they will bring food.
2: Feeding us. <laughs> yeah. That was another good thing no, exactly. is that we so when we when we started as a as like a group playing all together I was working with Shane's spouse and we they were just like hey uh do you want to come play D&D hey you've been working here maybe two weeks do you want to come play D&D <laughs> yeah that was like a few years ago now and we've been playing together since uh-huh. like we've played many different campaigns many different one shots we have we missed very few weeks? I think compared yeah. to some other groups of adults who do adult things, like I'm sure we play more than people who have children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <So>.
0: <laughs> not no, not not
1: no. It, it trust me, it it is difficult. Like I, I played more games than, depending on who you ask, my wife specifically, than I should as the father of six.
2: <laughs> okay. That's a whole party. That's a whole party.
1: You
3: don't even need friends.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the key is one of those games. One of my six plays in. <laughs> so, so it is. This is my uh, this this is my kid time with that one. <laughs> and it is also with a very good friend of mine that I've known for twenty years and two of his kids. So, like we built the game because we wanted to hang. We needed a way to do that. Both all uh, like. We like to game our kids like to. So like I literally built the game that we started playing in a game shop with random people to fill out the party so we could run a game for our our three kids or three of
0: our kids.
2: That is so sweet. That sounds wonderful.
0: Hannah, Shane, this has been an absolute pleasure. I love how much fun you guys seem to be having with with this ttrpg people in general can sometimes just take ourselves a little too seriously um and I, I think that you are really doing a really really excellent thing here so please tell everybody listening how they can find your kickstarter because by this point when they're hearing the episode it will have been out for about a week now so i know at the point that we're recording you're still kind of in the we haven't hit the big scary button anxiety but uh by the point that everyone uh, is listening it'll be out for about a week and and uh, and going along so how can people find your campaign so
3: go to www.fatmagicrpg.com and you can get our Kickstarter there if you want to see updates if you want to see a, a bunch of amazing art um, go to FatmagicRPG on Twitter
2: so Instagram and Facebook
3: Instagram, Facebook also um, the, our
2: Twitter's most active
3: the first act will be uh, available as a free PDF to download from the, the Kickstarter page if you're not sold head there and yeah play the entire first act.
0: I, I gotta say, like, if you are not sold after listening to this episode, you absolutely need to go check out that PDF because this uh, we just saw a sample of it here uh, for tonight, uh, and it's fabulous. The layout is amazing. the The content is is fabulous. I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing more. So uh, I wish you guys nothing but uh but good luck in this.
3: <laughs> Amber Seeger did our layout. Uh, Kinley Rafferty uh, did a bunch of amazing art. Jessica Kaczynski did some incredible stuff for us. Dean Saku is going to do some amazing art for us. Oh, there's, there's just
2: so many. There's just a very long list of extremely talented they're, artists. They're
3: all really good. And it's, it, I, I can't remember all their names because I have ADHD now they're not good
1: artists. <laughs> please, please, please follow us on Twitter, join our Facebook group so that as this comes live and things happen, you have a space where you can talk to our audience as well and get them to buy this because It'll be great when I have this game, but it'll be even better when many of the people that are on that, because obviously like any Facebook group, you start it with your friends, right? It'll be even better when my local shop has groups that are playing this game. So I can just take a random Thursday night and swing into the shop and play this game with them as opposed to saying, hey, guys, I have this new game. Did you see it? I like I, when people start asking me, "Hey, you talk to them? Can you do that?" Like I, I want that moment. So. <laughs> uh,
0: and and that's actually that's actually how Shane and I got connected. Was uh, we've been following each other on Twitter now for for a week now for a little bit now, and I saw that he was doing Kickstarter. I was like, "Hey, Kickstarter, come here. Let's talk. Let's talk about your stuff." So uh, just one other question kind of about the campaign. So um, what sort of uh, like price point is the is the book going to be at? What are kind of the, like the entry level price points that's going to be at? And then uh, kind of what's the like pie in the sky? You will fly people to Milan and 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 you know play on a, on a on a bridge at midnight sort of uh, sort no, of going people to Milan. Yeah, that's the 20. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, I think at, at the so what we're going with is um we're still tweaking a little bit, but it looks like we've got at the $20 level, you're going to get the PDF and you're going to get everything that, um, every single stretch goal. Um, mm-hmm. so you're, you're, uh, if there's content in the game, you're going to get it. If you fund no matter what, um, yeah. nothing is going to be left out of any price tier. Yeah. Then as you climb, you get like, um, hardcover, you get hardcover and a bunch of stickers, um, at 50 bucks we're working
2: with some local sourcing uh help to get things made here in baltimore which i'm very excited about yeah and we've got a dice tower tier we've got a dm screen tier we've got a, a t-shirt, t-shirt tier. there's a
3: koozie and then it, our,
2: <laughs> our
3: kind of exorbitant pie in the sky one is um at three hundred dollars um, and your oc um gets to be designed by one of our amazing artists kinley um, and she put it in the game and in a scene, um, in, in one of the bars, I think, in Left yeah. On Burner.
1: I love the fact that no content is left behind. I, I, I think that's awesome. You, you it's an all you can eat buffet. See, it would just I break
3: think. my heart. If, if we wrote something and we put a lot of effort into mm-hmm. something and then someone didn't get it because they didn't pay X amount of money, that yeah. doesn't seem fair or right
2: is the goal to fund at least 250 printings of the hardcover. We are reaching out to everyone we're reaching out to local game shops we're reaching out to oh yes if anyone uh, wants to reach out to their local game shop uh feel free to go ahead right.
0: shane hannah thank you so very much for joining us uh tonight on tabletop journeys uh best of luck to you on the kickstarter campaign hope you uh, fund at a million percent and uh and uh really make this a reality uh, i'm looking forward to it this sounds absolutely fabulous so thanks for joining us awesome
2: thank you so thanks for much. having us this, this was so lovely yeah, this-
0: <laughs> thank you everybody for listening Check out FatMagicRPG.com to go ahead and get on the Kickstarter and get that sucker funded. Go get your book. So Absolutely. Right. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
3: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at
1: TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at ttjourneys.com.
3: And if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you
1: can also support our production at patreon.com slash Journeys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, spotify audible or any other podcast platform we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast full episodes come out every week on saturdays and every wednesdays will feature our Sidequest series where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community and in the words of another traveler on our path we bid you shade and sweet water